And uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, to do it. If you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you. Okay, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. Um, my intent this morning was not to make any mention of this, but I, I do, as I was sitting here worshiping, I looked across the room. I did want to recognize one uh, member of our church, that's Wendy Haynes. Wendy, welcome this morning. I didn't want to say anything, but, uh, you know, you just brought this Super Bowl to my attention. So thank you for supporting the Seahawks. Anyway, um, actually, as a Seahawks fan, we no longer call the Super Bowl Sunday. We now call the Seattle Seahawks Sunday, okay? Um, that's how cocky we've gotten. So uh, Romans chapter 1, okay? Dive in with me. Uh, there's a handout in your bulletin, and uh, I know that uh, Pastor Jeff just made a great uh, challenge and encouragement to us to be in a small group. So if you're not in one, I do want to encourage you to be in a small group, and that handout is a great way to prepare for your small group. Take some notes, and, and, uh, and so I do want to bring to your attention, by the way, I don't think this is in your bulletin. Uh, if you're a member of Coastal Community Church, we're going to have a membership meeting next Sunday after the 1115 service. So probably around 1215, 1230. So that's going to start. Uh, we want to make sure we have a light lunch provided and child care. It's, it's an important meeting. I'm excited about it. So uh, so if you're planning on attending that and you haven't responded yet as a member, would you do me a favor on the side of your bulletin as a connect card? Just drop that in the, in the uh, offering plate and let us know you're coming so we have enough food and have enough uh, child care if you need it, okay? So that's kind of an FYI. I, um, this is a little bit of a different series that I'm doing. We're going to uh, go through the Apostles' Creed, and, and we've never done that before, and I'm hopefully, uh, as you progress through this, you'll see why it's important and, and why I'm doing it. I uh, told you guys in a sermon a couple weeks ago that uh, over the holidays, the Brown family had the flu, and uh, and it started with my kids, it went to me, and the last person to get it was was my wife. And so, you know, for those of you who have a great marriage and man, if you have a great wife, you, you know that when like, like you can get sick and everything goes on as usual around the house. But when mom gets sick, like, like those are dangerous waters, you know, that you tread as a family. And, and so my wife was the last to get it. And so, you know, the rest of us are starting to come out of it. And, and as you know, when you have the flu, like you don't eat much and you don't really care to eat. And so as we were coming out of it, there was one particular evening towards the end of the week that my kids got hungry. I started to get hungry. My wife's laying in bed with a fever and she's like, can you, you know, get dinner? I'm like, of course, honey, I've got dinner. You know, you just stay in bed. You take care of yourself. You get better. And so I go to the fridge and like, because everybody's been sick for a week, there really wasn't much food in the house. I'm like, uh oh, you know, like, and so, but I'm like, I got this. I can handle dinner. Right. So I go in the fridge and I find a big bag of waffle fries. And so I throw them in the oven. I get them going. I'm like, okay, you can't just eat waffle fries. Right. There's got to be a veg vegetable, I think, at dinner. And so, you know, I start digging through the closet. I'm like, oh, canned peas. And so I throw those in a bowl and I microwave them. And I'm like, I feel like it's really not enough for dinner. And I'm kind of searching around and I'm like, oh, eggs. And so I, I can make scrambled eggs. And so I'm scrambling eggs and I'm putting the plate of food together. And at this point, I begin to hear upstairs, I hear rustling. I'm like, oh no, my wife's coming down. And she comes down and she looks at the kid's plate and here on their plate is waffle fries canned peas and scrambled eggs, right? And I could tell by the look on her face, like, this did not cover the essentials of what you should have at dinner, right? And, and she, but fortunately, for my sake, she wasn't healthy enough to complain about it, right? She kind of looked at me with disgust. She turned around and went back upstairs. And so apparently there's certain essentials that you should have at dinner time, and that wasn't it, okay? And, but it was the best that I could do. Uh, 
This morning we're going to look at the creed, what I'm calling the series, I'm calling it Creed, okay? We're going to look at the, the Apostles' Creed, and we're, going to, we're actually for the next couple weeks we're going to kind of park on the Apostles' Creed, and, and I think it's important for us to understand the creed, because this is a, a document, this is a, a, something that churches have been reciting for, for nearly 2,000 years, uh, and, and I want to challenge us, because to, to be a Christian and, and to worship as a Christian church, there's, there's certain things that that we have to believe. There's certain truths that we have to hold to. There's, uh, I'll just use this word, there's certain essentials that need to kind of be on the plate for us to be a Christian church. And in fact, in our, in our We Are Coastal class, um, we start the class, or very early on in the class, we go through what we call our essential doctrines of, of Coastal Community Church. And so, you know, the reason that we're, we're doing this creed over the next few weeks is, is I want you to know these, these were the essentials of the early church. The early church had, had certain doctrines that they affirmed as churches, and, and they confessed that they believed. And, 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 you know, by the way, it's not enough to say, I believe in God, Right? Like, that's kind of a nebulous, like, we live in a culture where actually 90% of Americans say they, they believe in God. The book of James tells us that the demons believe in God. At least they're smart enough to tremble about it and be scared about it. It's not enough to believe it. Like, we have to, we, there, there's actually some things that we have to believe, we have to affirm to be a Christian church. And in fact, many churches in, our, in, our, in this culture still use the Apostles' Creed as an affirmation of what they believe, of essential truths that have, have, been, have been passed down from one generation to the next. So that's where we're going to park here. I think this is, this is an early compilation of, of the essential beliefs of the early church. And I think what you're going to find encouraging is that, wow, we believe these same things. Things, you know, and, and, and we hold to these same truths. Now, there's some words in here because it's so old that have a little bit of a different meaning. And you'll see that, in fact, as we, we're going to do something a little bit different here this morning. We're going to read this thing together. And some of you are going to be like, God, what? What's that mean? And we're going to cover that as we go, okay? So don't like freak out this week, okay? Go with me throughout the whole series. So, so here's what we're going to do. If you're new here this morning, welcome. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to read this creed together. Hopefully a lot of you go, yeah, I recognize that. Maybe some of you really recognize it. Some of you will be brand new too, okay? So here we go. You ready? We're going to read this out loud. Ready? Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Man, I love that. And I'll tell you, the reason we're doing this is I hope that as we go through the creed that, that it'll be memorable for you. You'll take, there's some great doctrine here that I hope you'll take with us. As we sing uh, the song creed, I hope that the song will resonate in your heart so that you will affirm and unpack these. So before I unpack this, okay, now our hope is what we're, what our plan to do is to take the creed. Of course, we want to go to, to the scriptures, which is the word of God. And we want to show you how this creed comes out of scripture. And these are some essential doctrines that we hold to. 
and then kind of do a so what with that. Like, like how does this, what, what difference does this make for us practically? Before I do that, I want to I give you a couple things about why I'm doing this, okay, over the next six weeks. First of all, uh, uh, there's a phrase in the scriptures that's used frequently. It's called, uh, oftentimes when you read your Bible, come across this phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how many of y'all have ever noticed that phrase when you're reading your Bible? God of Abraham, Isaac, Abraham. And the reason that's there is it grounds, it grounds the word of God in history, right? Grounds the word of God in history. Even, even Jesus used that phrase in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus says this, he says, I tell you this, um, that many Gentiles will come out from all over the world, from the east and from the west, and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and, uh, at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. This, this phrase is used throughout scripture to ground its hearers of, of, of the scripture the, to, to history. And I tell you that to say when we worship a God who has moved through real people and real events grounded throughout history. We don't worship a God that, that we've made up. He, he, he's revealed himself to people. And I tell you that to say this creed, the Apostles' Creed, was, was formed by the early church. And it reminds us of the importance of God moving in the hearts and in the lives and in history of real people. It's important to remember, by the way, church, that the early church didn't have copies of the scriptures. The, the early church, what happened was there was letters that were written and these got passed from church to church and sometimes recopied. But, but there, was, there was no point in an early church service where the pastor would stand up and say, hey, if you don't have a copy of the word of God, there's one in a chair in front of you kind of thing and take that one with you. That's our gift to you. Because it just wasn't that accessible, right? And so what happened was the early church wanted to formulate a good understanding of the New Testament. And so they did that with some memorable ways with the Apostles' Creed. And so they would, they would retain the truths of these early letters through the creed, okay? And, and so I'm hopeful that that will begin to sink into your heart. And so these are some early, these are the essentials of the early church and their founders. You know, it's interesting that um, uh, it, uh, to the best of our understanding, the, the Apostles' Creed began to formulate around 140 AD. Now, I know we're doing a little bit of history here this morning, but think about that, okay? Uh, the Apostles' teaching, the Apostles taught in churches so between 50 AD and 80 AD, probably, okay? And so you do your math. Within one generation, the next generation of churches are like, hey, we've got to formulate their teaching into some essential doctrines that we hold to. This, this creed is remarkably close to the early church. It's remarkably close. And so my hope is that as you worship the God of the Bible, that you'll be encouraged with this creed. Like, hey, there's an anchor here. The things that we believe are anchored in history, in real people, that churches of the past affirm and believe the same things that, that we affirm and believe. And so the apostles Creed, uh, while first of all biblical, and we're going to unpack that here in a few minutes, but uh, it's also grounded in history, and I hope that gives you an anchor for your heart and for your soul and your faith. Second thing about the Apostles' Creed that I find fascinating uh, that you're going to notice as you, as you become more familiar with it, the Apostles' Creed is Trinitarian. It's Trinitarian. It's based around the ideas of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, and, and we are coastal class when we're covering our eight essential doctrines that we hold to as a church. Number one, we talk about we, we hold to the word of God, okay, that, that the Bible is God's word. And so, uh, and so the Bible is what instructs us on the God that we worship. Does that make sense? 
It's not the God of our making. It's not the God that we want to have. It's the God of the Bible. And so, and so what I find fascinating, and number two in our essentials at Coastal is we believe that the God of the Bible has revealed himself as the Trinity, all right? One God revealed in three persons. And what I love about the Apostles' Creed is very early on, the church recognizes very important idea of the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian God. He's one God revealed in three persons. And I've done enough preaching on that to tell you it's mysterious. I, I can't even get my head around it, but that's the God of the Bible. And I love that the early church understood that. And by the way, this is one of the things that makes the Christian church distinctly Christian is what you believe about God. I always say this, you know, a lot of times people say, if I were to ask a lot of American Christians, what is it that makes a cult a cult? A lot of people say, well, cults believe weird things. To which my response is, no, we believe weird things too. That's, that doesn't sound what makes, like I believe that God talked to some guy through a burning bush and I believe that a virgin got pregnant and I believe that a dead guy came back to life. Like I believe weird things. It's not that you believe weird things. It's what you do with the Godhead. All right. And what happens is a lot of times cults grab hold of the same words that we use, but they mean something different. And the early church affirmed a Trinitarian God. One God, three persons. In fact, in the early church, and I know a lot of you, I know I'm giving you some history, and, and next week I'm going to give you a book uh, that's going to help you. We're going to have it out there, and you can purchase it at our cost, and, and we want to we give you a little some resources. We always like to do that during these six-week series, give you some resources that we're reading behind the scenes as well. Um, but the creeds and councils that came in early church history were really fleshing out the doctrine of the Trinity as important. And it's interesting to me because in this culture, the stuff that we get bogged down in, right? Like churches, they, they split over the gifts of the spirit, right? Churches, they split over, you know, the second coming of Christ. They split over styles of worship. But the early church, man, they were trying to hone in on the importance of the, of the doctrine of the Trinity, and church, sometimes we don't see that as very important, but the God of the Bible is a Trinitarian God. He reveals himself one God, three persons, and the Apostles' Creed affirms that. And it even gives us some great understanding on the roles of each person inside the Godhead. That's what I love about this, this creed, okay? Third thing about the, the Apostles' Creed, man, this makes my heart just warm. This is, this is where when you get old school, when you go back to the early church, you say, what are some of the things that was really cool about the early church? To me, this is one of them. The Apostles' Creed is very confessional, right? The Apostles' Creed, the per, as you recite the Apostles' Creed, what you're doing is you're confessing what you believe, all right? And this is what I love is I was doing some reading and some preparation about the Creed and about its historicity. It was, the Apostles' Creed was probably used at a person's baptism, so in other words, when a person was baptized and they publicly professed Christ as Savior, they would, they would use the, the creed as a confessional. Now, I want you to think about that. As you think about the, the good doctrine and the good theology that's in this Apostles' Creed. And when I do a baptism now, we're at Coastal. We actually try to go an extra step uh, more than the church I grew up in. Uh, you know, we try to make sure that every person that stands up here has a right understanding of the gospel before they profess Jesus as Savior. Um, and then when we do the baptism, I usually ask the person, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they say, yes. And I say, based upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And 
I say buried with Christ in baptism and raised up to walk in a new life. And that's kind of our confessional. But man, I look at the, I'm a little bit convicted when I think about our early church brothers and sisters. And when they were baptizing people, man, they made sure that this person was confessing a lot of really good things. I mean, look at this creed. I mean, it it, it unpacks for us that God is our father, that God is creator. It talks about the incarnation of Christ, the substitutionary death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the hope of the second coming of Christ. The confession includes a deep and abiding belief in the local church, the holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. And by the way, just a side note, okay, the word, I know some of you, when you hear the word holy Catholic church, you think denomination, right? And and like, it's not denomination. The word Catholic means universal, that you're part of God's people. That's what it means, right? Some of you are like, I don't even, what does denomination mean? I thought we were non-denomination. I didn't think we were Catholic. We're not a Catholic church, okay? We're a non-denom church. But you think denomination, it's not what it means. It means you're a part of the local church. you, You commune with other saints, and so when a person got baptized, they confessed that this is what they believed. They, they confessed the importance of community. They confessed freedom from sin. They confessed the hope of a bodily resurrection. They confessed eternal life. Man, this was, a person stood up when they converted to Christ. And they confessed some very important doctrines very early on in the early church. Isn't that fascinating? I think it's fascinating. And, and by the way, early church people, probably many of them, as they confessed this, they realized, man, my, they realized my life is on the line. You didn't just get baptized in the early church and walk away like it was no big deal. In the early church, when you got baptized, your life was on the line. People got fed to the lions for confessing Christ as Lord because you were throwing off Caesar. Caesar's not my Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I'm not saying I wish for that, but I do wish for that level of commitment for American Christianity. Man, Jesus is my Lord and a confession of some deep truths. And so... I'm going to transition now, okay, because there's an incredible amount of important theology the early church confessed and then as the New Testament was circulating and, and the, the new church members, people that you and I would call brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we're going to spend eternity with, you know, they confessed these truths. So let's unpack some of these truths, right? We're going to start with the very first line this morning, and, uh, and I'm going to wrap us up on time, I promise, okay? Um, but the very first line of the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. Let's pause here for a minute. God, the father almighty. Okay. What's that confession? Now I'm going to kind of skip over the word father. Okay. Which gives us all kinds of, of, um, great detail about the God that we worship, but I want to jump to the word almighty. All right. Go. I believe in God, the father almighty. What we're declaring is that the God that we worship is omnipotent. We confess that the God that we worship is omnipotent. And, and the word uh, omnipotent means this, that God is able to do all his holy will. I want you to hear that again. God is able to do all of his holy will. See, and it's important to have a good definition of what God, uh, God's omnipotence means. Because a lot of times you'll run into people and they'll ask questions. Well, you know, here's a question for you. Can God do anything? You know, anything is there anything that God can't do? Like, can he create a rock so big that even he can't move it? Right? Have you ever had somebody ask that question? They're thinking kind of philosophically. And, and that's a bad definition of omnipotence, right? Uh, the, the definition of omnipotence is God is able to do all his holy will. Can God ever sin? Right? No, because it's, the, it's his holy will. He's not, he's not going to break his own character. All right? 
And so the idea of omnipotence, let's unpack this here for a minute, is uh, that, that literally there's nothing too hard for our God. The God that we worship, the God that the early church professed and said they believe in is nothing is too hard for our God. And this goes all the way back to some great verses in the book of Genesis. Probably one of my favorite stories is, and we, I actually used this as an illustration a couple weeks ago when I was doing my new series about Abraham and Sarah. And you know the story of Abraham and Sarah. They were promised a child and through that child, all the nations were gonna be blessed, but they never got pregnant and they got older and they never got pregnant and they got older and they never got pregnant. And and, and, in Romans chapter four, the apostle Paul actually gives gives us a little bit of insight into the journey of Abraham. And it actually says his faith strengthens as he went. And finally, one day God shows up and he promises Abraham, even though he's in his late nineties, probably near hundred, he shows up and he says, you're still going to have this child. And Abraham's wife, Sarah laughs. Are you kidding me? All right. Like we're, we're too old. The plumbing doesn't work anymore. That's not happening kind of thing. Right. And so, and so, and so in, in, in Genesis chapter 18, we get this idea of our God being omnipotent as the visitors to Abraham and Sarah say, is anything too hard for our Lord? It's a rhetorical question, right? Is anything too hard for our Lord? What's the, what's the answer to that? See, obviously answer, no. He's God. He, he, he's able to do all of his holy will. And he says, I'll return in about a year, this time next year. And Sarah, you're going to have a son. And Sarah and Abraham had a son. They named him Isaac. And Isaac means laughter <laughs> because they laughed at God's omnipotence. He's able to do whatever he says he's going to do. God is able to do more than he actually does. That's what omnipotence means. He's able to do more than he actually does. Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. He's able to do more than he actually does. Now, this is important when you pray, by the way, all right? When you pray for healing, go to the doctor, find out you have cancer, and you pray for healing, right? This is why it's important to have a good systematic about around what you believe about God and what God's purposes are. By the way, there's a, I always say there's a bigger theme in scripture uh, than God is here to get us through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. There's actually a bigger theme in scripture even than God is, is saving mankind, even though that is part of what he's doing. The bigger theme is God is bringing glory to himself in all things. Why is that a bigger theme in scripture? Because when we pray, when we ask God, hey God, will you bring healing? Is God capable of bringing healing? Absolutely. But so what happens when he doesn't bring healing? Are right, things slipping through his fingers? Is God not, I thought you said, Sean, God's omnipotent. He can do whatever he wants to do. Why would he not do that? And the answer is sometimes even in suffering, God is bringing glory to himself. In fact, I would say oftentimes in suffering, that is the, the path that God uses to bring himself even greater glory than the easy path. How do I know? How do I know that? Well, many of you are here gathered this morning to worship God's son, a savior, Jesus Christ. Did Jesus suffer? Right? So if God didn't spare his own son from suffering well, and, and he used suffering to, to elevate his son to the greatest glory, who is the object of our worship as followers of God, right? We worship his son, Jesus Christ. Then, then why would we think that always the safe, soft, and easy path? So God, God is, is able to do whatever he wants, but he, he's able to do more than he actually does. The third thing is this about omnipotence. God is fully capable of fulfilling his promises, He's omnipotent. He's fully capable of fulfilling his promises. 
Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you in this room believe that God is fully capable of fulfilling his promise in John 3, 16? How many of y'all are like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. How many of you think, man, I can trust God on that promise, right? I saw a lot of hands go up. I'm going to ask another question. This one's rhetorical. Don't show your hand. How many of you believe God is able to fulfill his promises of Malachi 3.10? Maybe you're sitting here like, Malachi 3.10, what's he talking about? Uh, when I was a young, young man and uh, I started reading my scriptures, I stumbled across Malachi 3.10 and it's, it, it, it's changed my life. Because if I believe God's omnipotent, he's able to do whatever he promises, he's going to fulfill his promises. And I have to believe he's able to fulfill his promises in Malachi 3.10. Check this out. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, for those who don't know, the word tithe doesn't mean I reach in my wallet and give a 20. It, the word tithe means tenths. A tenth of your income. Bring all of your tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I love this. I, and the reason, here's the reason I tithe. I love the back end of this verse, right? I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it and put me to the test. This is a rhetorical question. Don't show your hands. How many of you believe God is omnipotent enough to bring that promise to fulfillment? And you believe it enough to make it a part of your checkbook. See, this is where it gets uncomfortable, right? Man, I believe that. In fact, I, I was actually in ministry. I was a youth minister, I just, and this was just a lack of thinking. One, time, one day it got brought to my attention that I was actually only tithing on net. And I said, you know what? I want God to bless my gross, my gross right? And so that's, that's how much I believe. And I was like, I'm going to change my check starting this week, you know, when I was in ministry at the time. And I said, because God stretched me and grew me. I believe that almighty God will bring the promises of Malachi 310 to pass. I believe that almighty God through Christ will secure my salvation, John 316. Why? Because God Almighty has said so. I believe all the promises of our God because he's almighty and he's fully capable of doing all of his holy will. He's omnipotent. And I agree with my brothers and sisters from the past that I believe God the Father Almighty. Number two, here's the second thing I confess this morning. I believe that God the Father Almighty is creator of heaven and earth. I hope to impact you with this here this morning. He's the creator of heaven and earth. By the way, to this day, this truth is a testimony to the greatness of our God. Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 1. That's where I had you open your Bibles. Romans 1 verse 19. The Apostle Paul is talking about in this section about how as sinners, all of us are born into sin. And as sinners, we don't naturally worship God. And so he's talking about sinful people, all right? So that's all of us, all right? And so Romans chapter 1, verse 19 says, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to him, 
to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God's made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Man, this is a really important verse of scripture that talks about God as creator of heaven and earth. Paul says, clearly, when you look around, when you go outside and you look around the beauty of nature, clearly there's a creator. Obviously, there's intelligent design. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God and the, the skies display his craftsmanship. And many of us, to our detriment, we run through life and we don't pause long enough to appreciate what God has created. In fact, I want to tell you something. The more we discover about the world and, and whether it's, the, you know, we're looking through a microscope or we go to the subcellular level of life here on earth, like I'm, I'm fascinated how God has knitted the world together. Or whether we view the, through, a, through a telescope shot into space and we look at the bigness of the universe. Whether we go small or big, I am fascinated by almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. In fact, I feel like, you know, we've, uh, we live in this culture where we feel like that the, if you believe in God, you're in conflict with science. I think our generation above all generations should be without excuse when it comes to worshiping God. Because the more we learn, the more we should go, wow, look what God has knitted together. It's incredible. I came home last week and my wife had a, a, a um, she was watching a, a sermon on, online and uh, the person that was preaching showed this video. And so I actually found this video on YouTube and it's, it's just a glance into the universe. And I hope that it will help you worship almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Watch this video.
How's that make you feel? As I was looking for this video on YouTube, I was searching for it, and I came across another video very similar. And the title of the video said, we are so small and insignificant, and did a very similar video. And you know what? It made me sad. Because if you do not believe in God, almighty creator of heaven and earth, or if that's where your belief system ends, and we're going to cover that in the next week about God sending his son. I don't want to jump ahead, right? If that's where you end, like it, it, if you're a, and, and Pastor Joyce mentioned this word last week, if you're a deist, you believe God kind of wound up the world and let it go, you know, and you're just kind of on your own. It, you, you watch that video, and, and, and by the way, if I'm the biggest star in the galaxy, like I want to be called Canis Majoris, okay? That's my name. I like that, you know? Like if that's all you see, then yeah, man, it's easy to leave here this morning and go, man, I feel really insignificant. Like I don't matter. There's no purpose. And it was funny because I watched this video and I was looking at the bigness of the stars and the bigness of the galaxy and I'd just come home from Coastal and here's what came through my head. It was a verse that Joey had read as a side note last week. Pastor Joey, Hebrews chapter four. And if this, this video put Hebrews four in perspective for me. Since then, we have a great high priest who did something. What'd he do? He has passed through the heavens. He went past Canis Majoris. And he went past this galaxy and a billion other galaxies. And he set foot on this little planet that's not even the biggest planet in our own cul-de-sac. Okay? Like, it doesn't, it's not even our own galaxy. He set foot on this planet. And as I thought about that verse in this video, I'm like, Wow! The God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, did not see us as insignificant. Isn't that incredible? And Romans 1 says, man, creation screams that God is our creator. And to our detriment, we ignore that. Creation reveals the very power of our God. I watch that video and I'm like, it's obvious God is God and I am not. An honest glimpse of creation should reveal to us the sheer magnitude and power and creativity of the God that we worship. Paul goes on to say that creation reveals that God has a divine nature. Why does God have a divine nature? Because creation is a supernatural act. How do we know creation is a supernatural act? Because God created ex nihilo. Have you ever heard that word? It's a Latin word. It means what? Anybody know? Created out of nothing. As we try to figure out how the universe is expanding, how it got to start, we still can't figure out how it all started. How did matter get here? God created ex nihilo. He's got a divine nature. By the way, did you know that nowhere in the Bible does the Bible defend the existence of God? You know why? Because creation screams that there's a divinity. It's assumed that as you look around at creation, you understand that there's a creator. And so Paul goes on to say, because it's obvious that there's a creator, man's going to stand before the God of the universe. And he's going to stand there without excuse. 
Every single one of us is going to give an account of our life. And we're going to stand there without excuse. It's not going to be enough to go, you know, God, I just didn't know. Romans 1 calls it, uh, the theological word that we've given this is the word general revelation. Okay, general, general revelation is enough, to, is enough to leave us without excuse, but it's not enough to save us, by the way. We need special revelation for salvation. And we're going to uh, get to that in the coming weeks. But the early church, man, we've, we've affirmed this for 2,000 years. The scriptures affirm it. Our hearts confirm it. Uh, our eyes make it obvious. As we look around at creation, we go, man, there's a creator, and he's divine, and he's awesome. And so we're, we stand before God one day, and we will stand there without excuse. In fact, all of humanity will stand condemned before God if, if they ignore God's special revelation. And the only way we can explain away God is in our ignorant and arrogant unbelief. I want to finish with this. I'm going to close with prayer. I know I'm leaving you kind of heavy this morning. Okay, I'm not, I'm not leaving you the escape this morning. I want you to leave here this morning with a contemplation in your heart about the awesomeness of our God. Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I read a statistic this week. It said 75% of Americans would have an affair if they knew they wouldn't get caught. And that is coming from a culture that says 90% of Americans believe in God. To which my question is, which God? Which God do we believe in? Because the God of the Bible reminds us none of us gets away with it. And so let me ask you this morning, which God are you believing in? So the God of your making, the God that you want, the God for which you'll never have to give an account, is the God that you worship, is it God that weighs your life according to your standards or according to his standards? Is the God that you worship, is he, is he concerned with what you think or what he thinks? I got great news for you this morning as we journey, man, we're going to make some great confessions as a church as we delve into the Apostles' Creed. But this morning, man, I, I, I confess with many, many brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before me, man, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I hope that your hearts are captured by His awesomeness this morning. And you long to worship Him and bring him glory in all things. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I know I've left this this morning with uh, really just a contemplation of you, our Father, Creator. You're awesome. God, for some here this morning, there's a heaviness to that. There's a, man, what? What if I stand before God on my own accord, my own account? What if I've been doing things my own way without pursuing righteousness? What if the, uh, I'm living in sin? What next? And that's why this creed is so important. Why we, what we believe and what we confess is so important. And so, God, we're, we're humbled by you. We leave this morning admitting that we have a need We, we leave this morning admitting you're God and we're not. Forgive us, God, for the times that we play God. We think we know better than you. We know better how to live our lives. We know better 
how to use our time. We know better how to use our resources. We know better what is right and what is wrong. And we are humbled by you, our Father, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We also worship you. And we worship you because you sent a Savior who passed through the heavens, set foot on this planet, died a substitutionary death, rose again that we may have hope, we may have life. And so we worship you through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray, amen. Church, this is a... Start offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, I want you to know we're not after your money, uh, so don't feel an obligation to give. This is just one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal Community Church. If you'd like to join us in that, you're certainly welcome to. Uh, as a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. We call that a connect card. Uh, if you would just fill that out and drop that in the offering basket, and we just want to send you a thank you for coming. That's all we're going to do with that. If you're here this morning and you have a prayer need, our prayer team will be up here during the offering. They'll stay after service, standing right here at the front, and uh, they would love to minister to you uh, through prayer as well. Joey.